0: But uh, we are excited to be here. Uh, I know when you get like missionary speakers, it's like, oh, it can be like, oh, crap. I mean, get that missionary message, the life that I can't totally relate to, or this really epic life that, um, that, like nothing that I'm really interested in. So on that, I want to show you a really epic video <laughs> of our life in Chad. Um, can, we, can, we, can we play that?
1: Now in the joy of
0: all involved,
2: we command the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Zagal people by spending
1: ourselves
0: to meet their needs and directly appealing to them
1: to be reconciled to God through Christ in order that as the Holy Spirit leads,
3: we might join with God in making disciples
1: who gather within reproducing indigenous churches
3: live in the the homeland of the Sagawa people which sits in eastern Chad on the edge of the Sahara Desert near Sudan's border, a full two days of travel by car from Chad's capital. The weather here changes dramatically throughout the year, ranging from a rather uncomfortable 120 degree heat during the hot season down to just above freezing on cold winter nights. It's almost always dry and windy with relentless dust. There is very little running water or electricity, and only dirt roads. The Zagawa are a rogue people group, very proud and strict Muslims. They number about 400,000 mainly residing in Chad and Sudan. The Sudanese Zagawa are one of the main groups of people who have suffered for decades in the Darfur genocide, and many now reside in refugee camps around Gariba. The Chadian Zagawa, however, are the politically dominant people of their country, but the president of Chad and their tribe, they are not world-like, their power unjustly over most of the country. While many Zagawa use Arabic as a trade language, the true heart language of Zagawa is still unwritten and without any scriptural resources. However, God is at work. Just in the last few years, we have seen the number of Christ followers among the Zagawa grow from only a few to now almost 30 believers. It is our desire to love the Zagawa in both word and deed. We currently serve them through well-repaired sanitation training and English education while also preparing for community health initiatives in the near future. All as ways of telling the Zagawa people that Christ loves them.
0: Yeah, it's just that epic every day. No, actually, it's every day is pretty normal. Um, like your day, you know, we, we change diapers and we... Um, have to go to the market. Um, we uh, filter our water. We live off the grid. I mean, our our life is pretty pretty normal. Every day we got tours around the house, and life is pretty pretty normal. But um, the great thing is we get to tell people about Jesus who have never heard in a place uh, where many haven't been able to reach it with the good news. So uh, my family is the Huts family. My wife uh, is Sarah, and um, we can flip to that next slide shows our picture and we got four kids uh justice uh, Sophia with the helicopter hair uh, amina with the cheesy grin and salem our boy two of our kids were born there in chad and um, we serve with that big team that you saw many of them had left some really lucrative careers one being a general physician a, a physician's assistant uh, a, a veterinarian two teachers um, uh, we uh, sarah and i left pastoral ministry to go there to chad um, and so um all these people with the goal of mind is seeing the church expand where it's not. And um, we want to tell you about what God is doing a little bit. And then uh, I want to share God's word with you um, about what it means to, to follow. So, um, Sarah, would you be able to come up? Um, and uh, Sarah's going to share with us a little bit, just for a few minutes, about uh, one of our neighbor ladies that she's been, she's been trying to reach out to. Sorry, I totally didn't prep you. and The this story is that the very first person in our
1: village. So my Across the way, we have sort of like a sand pit, and then there's another group of housing right over there. So I was like, I'm just going to walk over there. And walked over, and um, in Chad, if you live in traditional housing, you don't have any windows because there's so much dust, and you want it to stay a little bit cool during the day in the shade and stuff. So um, they live mostly in their yard, and it's all like has a big mud wall around it and stuff. So you come up to the uh, opening of the wall, and you say salam salam, and then from the far corner of the house, you hear Abe and that means come in. So I walked in, and I was like, I kept saying it like salam because I don't know where they are, and I kept hearing their voice. So I walked in, and then I could tell they're coming. It was coming out of this one particular doorway which would be entering complete blackness. So um, it, the sun is really bright there. So I, like, stepped inside the doorway and just stood there. And I was, like, greeting them in Arabic. How are you? Fine. Good. Wonderful. How are your kids? Good. And then as my eyes adjusted, I saw this woman sitting on the floor, and her stomach was like this. I was like, oh, you're about to have a baby soon. Thankfully not right then. Yes, she was, and her name was Mabruka, and we found out we had the same number of kids. Anyways, I could just see her face literally beaming, you know, because I hope you know how much I love the people that I work with. But you know, like, black skin is just like, you know, with the, if you have the oil and the moisturizer going on, it's like beaming. So from the little light that was coming out of the thing, it was like, wow. And she has been the most gentle peaceful person I have ever met. Even though our tribe is literally a warrior tribe, women come up to each other. I'm going to do this down here. And literally they'll come up, even if it's behind them and they don't even see you, they'll just be like, bam. (laughs) And you're just like, and usually it's because you didn't come to my house last Friday. And you're like, oh, I love you too. Um, And uh, one time I thought there was really going to be a fight and there are fights. Women often carry knives like, and men both like, in a little sleeve inside their clothing so they can just, like, whip it out. Um, I've never been threatened other than by an eight-year-old boy with, like, a knife this big. I was like, go home. Uh, back to <laughs> um, uh So I met her, and then we started developing this relationship, and I want to tell you a story that I don't usually tell people because I was trying to think which one. And um, she recently had to have a surgery which thankfully our team could help out with but I want to just tell you what the last couple years of her life have been. When we left Ariba two years ago to visit at Golden Hills and various places um, we went back after six months and I was like where's your husband and she's like oh he went to Libya to look for gold and I was like oh (laughs) how are you feeding your kids again and you know they have a little garden and stuff so they're doing that and about 18 months after that, you know, I kept asking her, aren't you worried he's not coming back? She's like, I haven't heard from him. There's no cell reception out there. Um, and after about 18 months or 19 months, um, she came to my house one day, and she was really uh, serious. And I was like, oh, no. Did something happen to Ibrahim? She was like, no. But our cousin, they just found his body. He was trying to get back from Libya, but he died of starvation and um, – what is it when you don't have any water? You know what I mean? Dehydration. And I I felt for her because I was like, um, she has four little kids. And so I said, you know what, Maruka, I'm going to pray for you in Jesus' name, and I'm going to pray for your husband, and um, I'm going to keep praying for him, okay? She was like, okay. And about... Uh, Three or four months after that, she's like, I need to have this surgery and I don't have any money. And so we were praying, and our team could only pay for half the surgery. And she's like, That's all only half. And I was like, Well, take it to the doctor and just ask him if he'll do the surgery. And sure enough, he did, praise God. Anyways, and then like a month later, her husband just shows up. And we're all like, Yes, praise God. That's not the real story I'm gonna tell you. But I wanted to lead up to that by saying life in Chad is completely uncertain, not just your physical life, like are you going to get a parasite, but also like your livelihood, like are my kids going to get to go to school, because if they don't go to school, you know, you know how it is in the U.S., it's like 100 times worse there, if you don't go to school, you can't get a job, and there is no social security, so if your kids don't get jobs, then you don't have any retirement, you know, at all, um, and so this is her situation that she's living in, and then um, during this time, her, so all her, like, one aunt lives, like, right beside her, and then um, another aunt lives over here, and then somebody who she married into her family lives over here. But this cousin right here, her, um, she, her brother passed away, and so they always invite everyone to the funeral. So when you go to, as a woman, to go prepare the meal for the funeral, you usually show up at about 9 in the morning, Usually you bring your own knife to cut the onions. Sorry, this is a really long story, right? Okay, I'm almost done. Um, And uh, so you walk into the yard, and there's like 80 women sitting around because they're all ready to cut the onions and the meat and stuff. And I walked in, and there was – this was the first death that was really close to me. But um, there was this one little um, plant. Because it's so dry there, they dig a hole, so you can't even see the plant unless you're really close to the edge. But there's this one little plant like struggling to be in the middle of the yard and everything else is just sand. And I sat down and I was listening to them to read, listening to them reading the Quran because that's what they read. And I could hear the word Satan. They were reading about Satan and I was like trying to listen and understand. And all of a sudden I realized that what they were saying is like, oh, and Satan will be overcome. And, you know, we know that we don't walk in his ways and all that. And my heart just sunk. Like, he is just standing around, probably laughing at them. <laughs> like, yeah, you're going to read about me and think you're not following my ways. When you, I'm just leading you down the path to complete destruction. And I was really angry and feel, felt a little hopeless or helpless because here's 80 women ranging from grandmothers down to like 16 year old girls who just got married and not one of them even remotely wants to believe that Jesus Christ could be their savior and then God's spirit really said to me you see that little tiny struggling plant in the middle of the yard you just remember that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it so I want you to pray for Mabruka. And I want you to pray for God's church to rise up in Chad.
0: Yeah, let's pray for Mabruka, and I'm gonna give you a moment. In a moment, we're gonna pray for them, and pray the pray for them by name. I want to share with you a story about another guy by the name of Mubarak. He's 21 years old. Um, he's got a really crazy story, an amazing story, miraculous story of how he's come to faith. And um, I wish I had like. Uh, an hour to tell you his story because it is that impactful for me um i mean living in chad i don't have to sacrifice as much as a guy like mubarak does my my persecution is mostly like social maybe somebody won't shake my hand or visit my house but for mubarak it's it's life or death so i want you to hear from him before i left chad i I had a got a video with him translated for you so let's let's hear from
4: mubarak to you. My name is Mubarak. I am a Chadian from Chad. I am a believer in Jesus, the son of God. Two years ago, I didn't know this truth. But praise God, now I have joy because I know the truth. One day, I attended a workshop that was studying the story of Luke's Gospel. I heard from this story how a person can know Jesus. On that day, I was full of joy from everything I heard, but I didn't know why I was so full of joy. After a year and a half, I went to my friend Jacob and Thomas they helped me read the Bible they helped me understand that Jesus is the son of God one day I went and told my father when he heard that I had become a believer he said do not return to my house you are not my son however I have joy because I was now a child of God. I thank you. Now that you see me, will you pray for me? Pray that God will open the heart of my father and mother to the truth. And pray for my older brother. He is angry with me. He says, I'm an infidel. I will kill you, he says. But only God knows what he will do. Pray with me a lot about this. Thank you. Pray for the Z team in Chad, Africa.
0: So Mubarak, that's a real—he's a real dude, and um, he's a real friend of mine. In fact, on Saturday, I got a WhatsApp call from him as we were, got off the plane in, in San Francisco, driving here, and he's—he's—he's um, he's, uh, he's back in our village and. He's been kind of on the run for a little bit. His brother and uncle and dad have been trying to track him down to try to lock him up, to make him recant and go back to Islam. His family has kind of totally disowned him, and with, withholding his inheritance, or blocking him from ever possibly having a wife from his people, and um, we've got a lot of pressure put on him for to, for being a Christian, just for saying he's he's a Jesus follower. And uh, man, that's, that's that's harsh, but that's reality. Um, And uh, that's the reality of a follower of Jesus, isn't it? Jesus doesn't promise that when we follow follow Him, it's going to be it's going to be cupcakes and unicorns. It's going to be like tough. It's going to be full of persecution. He does promise us forgiveness and eternal life, but he does promise that we're going to face temptation and persecution for following for following His name. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. But uh, let's just pause for a moment and pray for both Mabruka and Mubarak. If you cannot pronounce their names, God knows, but they're both of their names come from the root, which means blessed or blessing, like Barack Obama, blessed. So even to say, God, would you bless Mubarak's family? Would you bless the journey that Mubarak is on, that God would give him courage to fight, to continue to stand up for the name of Jesus? Would you pray with me? God, we do pray, Father, for Mabruka and her family, her whole household, her children and her husband, Ibrahim, her dad, uh, Abdullah, God, that you would rescue that family, that you'd turn them from darkness to light. You would open their eyes, give them the eyes to see, that they would not be blinded anymore, but that they would have faith, that you would give them the light, God. Also, we just pray for a Mubarak, that as he walks in the light, that God, wherever he goes, it would just pierce and knock down walls that your church would be built up through him that you'd surround him with brothers that he would not be alone that god he would be encouraged and god when he thinks about his family that he would find his identity in christ he would see you as his abba father and that he would be comforted by that god as we pray for him as he rests on his pillow tonight may he have joy may he have continual joy that's only found in jesus god we know that joy and we are, are glad to have that joy in the power of Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Well, um, we, we've, uh, Sarah's a great artist, and she's kind of whipped up some designs. And we've got these T-shirts of Mabruka and, and Mubarak. And uh, we use these things to help Mubarak. He's, he's got a, his first job, which is working th- with Wycliffe, doing some Bible translation work in his Bible, in his, in his, in his heart language, uh, the Zagawa language. And so we want to kind of support and encourage him and, and tell him that we you know we love him and we support him. And so uh, if you're interested in buying a shirt, there's like a little sign-up sheet on the table back there. Enough of that. But um, I want to get to God's word tonight because that's the most important. You might think about, like, what, why would you even go to a crazy place like Chad and give up so much to go to a place like that? It's really about following. It's, it's not about following God at a place like Chad. It's just about following a person. Because following God to a place is, is meaningless, but when you follow a person, when you follow the person of Jesus, it's everything. And so that's what I wanna to talk to you guys about a little bit tonight, what it means to follow Jesus, and just simply the, what it means to be a follower. Because each one of us are unexpected followers that God has called out of the muck. And that God has given us a new name, he's given us a new family, he's given us a new vision, he's given us a new purpose. And no matter where God places us, we are always followers. You know, we're, we're really born followers, aren't we? From the little age, like when you come out of your mother's womb and you start to learn how to walk and talk, you're born to follow. You do everything and you mimic, you just kind of follow your parents, you follow the crowd, or even you, 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 from a young age, you're, you're told to follow the leader, follow the rules, um, follow the yellow road. You're told to do all these things to follow, but there's something happens between like childhood and adulthood, right? And you, you're feeling that even now, this this tension to kind of lead your own life rather than to follow. I'm supposed to lead my own life. That's what the world tells me. But the truth is, like after you graduate, you don't hear a graduate say, I, 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 I want to be a follower when I grow up. You just don't hear that. And maybe your parents, or you don't spend tons of money to go to like followership, followership academy, right? You go to business academy, or business school, and And as adults, we don't want our legacy to be the world's greatest follower. We want to be known by leadership, right? Everything's built around around leadership, to lead, 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 lead. But Jesus is about following. It's about followership first. We're more more followers than we care to admit. Every one of us are closet followers of something, right? We follow things from fashions to passions to interests. Uh, we follow the lives of the rich and famous and sports teams and things. You know, if I were to look at your Facebook or your Instagram, I would see probably some crazy things that you follow and like, right? While we don't want to be known as followers, we are known by what we follow. You are known by what you follow, right? What band you follow, what, what, uh, what school you follow, what, what uh, fashions or interests you follow. You are known by what you follow. And you're identified often by that, what you follow. This evening, I'm going to look at a little bit of the book of Matthew. Because Matthew really, in essence, is a book about followership. It's like, it's like the manual and what it is to be a follower of Jesus. If I were just to have the sermon tonight, it would be just reading through the book of Matthew and letting us digest what, how Matthew lived and followed Jesus because there's such power in looking at somebody's example and reading through the life of Jesus and mim- mimicking him, learning what it is to be in followership academy, which Matthew was. like It was in a three-year followership academy with Jesus in the flesh. In a sea of millions of things to follow, why follow Jesus? I'm sure somebody asked you that from time to time why why do you follow Jesus why do you go to Kairos why do you want to be identified with Jesus that's what brings us to Matthew in the beginning of Matthew's story I'm going to begin in Matthew chapter 4 verses 18 through 22 Jesus has already begun his ministry he he's already been baptized he's already, uh, already getting things started this is like in his early months of 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 ministry on earth Matthew records those early days for us. Jesus isn't incredibly well-known yet at this point. Let's see what Matthew says about Jesus in verse 18 of chapter 4. While while walking walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. So these two brothers, what are they doing? They're casting their nets into the sea. Why? Because it says they're fishermen. And Jesus says to them, Follow me, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. And he goes on, immediately, those two brothers left their nets and followed Jesus. And going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. And they were mending their nets, and Jesus called them, follow, follow me. And immediately, they left their nets They left the boat and their father and followed Jesus. Jesus must have been an incredibly compelling person. He must have been an incredibly attractive man. Not like attractive, what you mean by attractive, like compelling in the sense that he had a draw. There was something about Jesus that when these men, uh, they're doing their job and Jesus is like, follow me, that they listened. These four men were tied to their family fishing business and they left everything when only Jesus said 10 words. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And their response is is wowing. It's it's surprising, it's stunning that they immediately they're like like come, Jesus can you, like check back in like 5 minutes or like can I think about this? Can I go home and talk to my mom? Or, like or no, they're like immediately they left their nets. They left the boat. They left their livelihood. They left what their cash flow was. They left their career and followed Jesus. Let the weight of that sink in for a moment. That's a big deal. Jesus was that compelling. Is Jesus still that compelling? He is that compelling. He still is that compelling. What It might not startle us today, but it would have startled the original readers of this book of Matthew to learn what kind of people Jesus was calling to himself to follow. They were fishermen. Have you been around fishermen? Maybe not, but fishermen, I mean, you've been down to the wharf in San Francisco, right? It stinks. And fishermen stink. They're like the low-rung level people, right? They're the kind of people that you meet at the biker bar with tattoos all over and have, like, stuff growing out of their beards. These are those guys. And yet Jesus is calling these men to follow him. I think that's cool. What's even more startling is that Jesus call, what, what Jesus is calling them to do. He wasn't calling them to a better fishing spot. That would come in a later story. He wasn't calling them to a better job, as good as fishing for men might sound. That's when you work, if, if you're working with people, you realize that working with men is actually a pretty messy job, probably even more messy than fishing for fish. Jesus is calling these four men away from the only thing that they ever had known, on, only thing that they have ever have worked for. The only inheritance that they would ever get. Something the completely unknown. He was calling them to a career change without any term limits. These guys wouldn't go home at the end of the day. They would walk where Jesus walked. They would sleep where Jesus had slept. They would eat all their meals with jesus they would listen to jesus as he go out went out and talked in the synagogues he would they would follow him wherever he went for three years they would do that and by the time that they had spent those three years with jesus these young men would grow to become just like jesus these men knew who was calling them they had heard who jesus was because by this point by chapter four in matthew Jesus was already known as a teacher. He was already known um, as a rabbi. And to follow a rabbi was like a lifelong commitment. It wasn't something that you just signed up for a couple weeks and did an internship with. If you were going to work under a rabbi, it was a lifelong commitment. It was like something you did for life. A A student of a rabbi would shadow that rabbi and would often resemble a rabbi. There's a story of a, a group of, uh, of, of students of one rabbi who was old and decrepit, and they still follow him. And you'd, There's a story of that one old decrepit rabbi walking around with his little cane, and then you had those other 20-year-old uh, pr- uh, protégés behind him walking like the rabbi. Because they would mimic everything that their rabbi did. They would talk like their rabbi. If he had an accent, they would work on the accent. They did everything that their rabbi did. It's true. They resembled him. And by Jesus asking these men to follow him would have been an incredibly high honor. The highest of honors. However, Jesus kind of throws this real cultural curveball here. Because rabbis didn't call followers. It was the other way around. If you wanted to follow a rabbi, if you were interested in following a particular rabbi, you would give him your resume. You would make your pitch. And, uh, and the rabbi would look at this list of potential resumes, and he would choose the you know the, the smartest and the wisest, and he would look at you know, the resume and, and pick the best of the best to follow him. But that wasn't Jesus. Jesus does the exact opposite. He calls students to follow him. He wasn't acting like a normal rabbi. That's because Jesus wasn't a normal rabbi. He was the rabbi of rabbis. He was the king of kings. And he was the Lord of lords in the flesh. He was the one true rabbi, the greatest teacher to ever walk the earth, the greatest prophet to ever live, God in the flesh among them. And this guy was calling these stinking fishermen to follow him. You see, God throughout history is like that. God is always the pursuer in the relationship. He's always the one that's going after the lost sheep. He's always the one that's going after us, you and me. He's always the one that is pursuing us. Sometimes we think, man, I've been trying to pursue God all my life. But no, it's actually the other way around. God's always been the one that's been pursuing you. He's always been the beloved. The one that's been beloved. His lover is running after his beloved. In the garden, it was God who pursued and walked with Adam. In Ur, it was God who had pursued Abraham and told him to go to the promised land. It, and Moses, Moses was taking care of his father Jethro's sheep. Uh, it was God who spoke and pursued Moses through the burning bush. When the people were on the edge of the promised land and Moses, uh, Joseph, uh, jo, sorry, Joshua was freaking out, it was God who pursued Joshua and said, Be strong and courageous. I will fight for you. It was God who called Samuel and Elijah and Jeremiah to be his prophets. And as you probably look back on the history of your life, you could say, yeah, it it has been God who has always 100% pursued me. Aren't you grateful for that? Like that God has been on your tail? That God has been the one that has been pursuing you as the great lover? Jesus pursued each of his followers said, follow me. Jesus fielded a team of guys that would not only have been picked last, they probably wouldn't have been picked at all. Because when fielding a team, you look for the smartest and the wisest and the best and the most fit, the most attractive. But Jesus oddly picked the last to be first. And he picked the most unordinary team of ordinary men. Isn't that a little comforting? (laughs) Am I alone on that? Is it a little bit of comforting that God, or Jesus, God in the flesh, had picked these kind of men to follow him? Because I'm I'm ordinary. I haven't done much that's extraordinary. You are known by what you follow. And if you follow Jesus, you are known by him. Later... Um, Later the followers of Jesus when questioned by the high priests and when, um, when uh, they, the, question, the high priest looked at these followers of Jesus and they said now in Acts 4 verse 13 he said now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John they perceived that these men were uneducated, common men and were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Did you hear that? These high priests had look at these men, they're like, these guys are nobodies because these guys are just stinking fishermen. These guys are just like, just nobodies, ordinary men. But when they heard these men speak, when they heard them preach about Jesus, they were like, whoa, these guys, Jesus had totally rubbed off on them. They like spoke like Jesus. They preached like Jesus. They looked like Jesus. What a compliment, right? Peter went on to be the rock of the church. John became the most beloved friend of Jesus and Andrew would give up his life as would all the other followers of Jesus for the sake of Jesus' his name. What in your life represents or resembles the rabbi which you follow? When people look at your life, they say, yeah, you look a lot like Jesus. It's as if you've been with him. When Jesus calls you, he calls you to follow. Not just for a moment, but for life. Your calling is to follow. Your calling and my calling is to follow. It's as simple as that. It's to follow Jesus. That's, that's what Jesus is asking us to do. He's calling you and I to follow him. Likely you follow Jesus because he has pursued you. The fact that Jesus calls you and me to follow is just utterly crazy and utterly amazing. to Think about it. Think about it that the God of the universe asks us. He invites us to follow him. God is the only one who completely and perfectly knows you. He undoubtedly cares for you. He infinitely loves you. And Jesus, God with skin on, calls you and me to follow him? Wow. Think about it. It's incredible. What, in essence, Jesus is doing is he's popping the question. Yeah, that question. He's like, will you be in relationship with me? Will you be in covenant with me? When he asks us to follow him, it's not just for a fad. He's asking us to be one with him. He's asking us to be like married to him, like spending the rest of our life with him in sickness and in health when life is good and when it throws us curveballs. He's asking us to be with him and follow him through it all. He's not looking for that like that one night stand or isn't interesting you for just a few years and it's going to ditch you for irreconcilable differences. He's not like that. He is the one that pursues and keeps the covenant. Um, I remember when Sarah and I were first dating. It was like 10 years ago. Um, I remember uh, getting reconnected with Sarah. We went to college together and uh, we had kind of lost touch after college and a mutual friend of ours reconnected us and was like, you remember Sarah? He knew I was single. She was single. She knew I liked Jesus and she loved Jesus and that I liked Africa and she liked Africa. And he was like, he, he gave me her digits and he's like, "Do you remember Sarah? And I was like, yeah. Oh yeah. And she's got some great lips and personality. And uh, so yeah. So um, I, I I took those digits and I called her up and, and the rest is history. But you know, if you've ever been in a dating relationship or a quartering relationship, you know those early days. You're like really curious about each other. You're like, what's your, if you were a car, what kind of car would you be? Or what's, what's your favorite color? And, um, you know, and then you get to that and you go to deeper and deeper and deeper. And, and then and we got to the point where like, I'm, I'm committed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I want to be with this woman for the rest of my life and we sealed the deal we put a ring put a ring on each other stood before uh, our best friends and family and and vowed that we would live with each other through through the hardest of times and then nine years happens and life gets tough and you're like um, um those little things that you thought were cute drive you crazy and you uh are are really starting to wonder like is this is it, do I want to be in this forever? Do I, am I really committed to this? Do I really want to do the hard work to make this work? Am I really wanting to be loving to this woman for the rest of my life? And you got to go back to being curious again. Like, go back to dating again. And asking those questions, like, deep questions again. And getting back to that, oh, yeah, this is why I'm committed to you. And this is why I really want to be in covenant with you. And repeat, and repeat, and repeat. What I love about it is that there's always an infinite, thing, uh, infinite amount of things to know about God. And it's good to date God in the pure sense of that, to be curious about him, to, to just fall in love with him, to, to fall in love with following him, and to hold his hand and enjoy that he wants to be in a covenant relationship with you, that he desires to be one with you, that he desires to um, be your lover. Isn't that an amazing thing? Isn't that a comfortable thing? To know that you are wanted, you are pursued, you are desired, you are smiled upon, you are wanted to be in a covenant relationship with, that God of the universe desires to be with you, present with you. We're going to get that, remember that, we're going to get back to that in just a moment. But your first call is to follow, and not to follow is to rebel. Rebelling is the essence of sin, Sin says, I will do what I want, I will listen to no one, I call the shots, I follow no one. You either are drawn to Jesus to follow him, or you're repelled by Jesus. That's the tension you see in the book of Matthew. If you read through the book of Matthew, his followers are drawn to him. But then there's the other group called the Pharisees, and they're like repelled by him. They want to do the opposite. They just want to get rid of Jesus. They don't want to be in a relationship with Jesus, because they really weren't in a relationship with God as it was. Being a follower is about identity, having a true identity, your identity being wrapped up in your position as a follower. Most, most often our, our identity is wrapped up in what we do, like I'm a student or I'm a, I'm a, a nurse or I'm a carpenter or I'm a plumber. I'm a missionary. I'm a, you know. But when this becomes our identity, Jesus calls us to a greater identity. He calls us to the identity of being a follower. And when we embrace our true identity as a follower, it becomes less about what I do and more about who I am, that who I am in Christ. What I love about Matthew is that he, inter- put, he puts his own biography in his own book. When he writes about Jesus, he puts his own, how Jesus intersected with his life. Look at it in chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Jesus, he says, Jesus saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and Jesus said to him follow me and he rose and followed him he's putting he's talking about himself here you get it Matthew was behind that desk he didn't have the most great he didn't have the greatest job in the world right it was a pretty embarrassing job we'll get to that in a second so he rose up and followed Jesus and Jesus reclined at the table in the house, and behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and, and were reclining with Jesus and his followers. And when the Pharisees saw this, they, they said to the, his followers, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when they heard it, he said, When he heard it, he said, Those, those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I come not to call the righteous, but the sinners. There's so much good there. I wish that we could unpack it. That's like a whole other message. But what I want us to focus on is what Jesus focuses on. Jesus focuses on Matthew. There's a whole crowd there. Matthew's behind that booth. He's doing his job. All intents and purposes, he's like a dentist or he's he's like a, a parking warden. He's like a debt collector. He's got a pretty bad job. He's like, those guys, those telemarketers, phone call guys. You know, he's got a really bad job. But Jesus sees him. Jesus makes eye contact with him. And he invites him to the greatest adventure in the world. To follow. Jesus sees ordinary people. He sees you. People with labels, he sees. People with reputations, bad ugly he sees he doesn't care about people's titles he cares about people he cares about you and he gives you a new title think of all, think of some of the new titles that Jesus gives his followers these titles are brought to us by the book of Matthew he says to his followers you are my sons and my daughters Isn't that an amazing title, especially if you have grown up in a really bad family situation? That you are called a son and a daughter of God. He says also that you are my beloved. That is beautiful, particularly if your relationships have gone sour in your life. That Jesus, the God of the universe, calls you his beloved. He calls also his followers his treasure. That can be incredible, especially when you feel like a peanut rather than a precious stone. To Jesus, you are seen, you exist, and He calls you to follow. Quickly, consider the cost of following Jesus. That's what Jesus was all about, because He knows that when He invites you to follow, it's not going to be an easy road. Most people in Jesus' sandals would have been enamored by all the crowds that follow him, but Jesus was not. He always had, like, these Operation Crowd Reduction sermons where he would, like, like separate people. Like, like he would make these really radical statements, and people would be like, hmm? And he could see right through the facades that the people who were just following him. Or many of the people that followed him were faux followers or were fad followers. Look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 18 through 22. And now when Jesus saw the crowds around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side of the, of the body of water. And, and a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. You think, I, I imagine all the other disciples were like, Wow, this is awesome, Jesus. This guy wants, really wants to follow us. That's what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the ears have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What? What did Jesus mean by that? What he meant is that sometimes when it t- going gets tough, some people just bail, on, bail out, right? What Jesus was saying is where I go, there's no holiday inn. There's no sleeper number bed. Where I go, it's, it's I don't even know where I'm sleeping tonight. I'm just trusting God by faith. Where we go, God's going to provide. In fact, Jesus didn't know where he would sleep. He was homeless. He trusted God would provide, and God did provide, and it was a walk of faith. And Jesus knew that this scribe was not ready to commit to the weary and uncomfortable road of following. Are you? Man, Chad is uncomfortable at times. can be full of sickness. Remember my first couple months in Chad, I lost like 50 pounds. It was a great diet if you want to ever, if you ever want to go on a Chad diet, come on out. You can just pay the airfare and it will lodge you if you really want to lose a lot of weight. But, it's due to parasites and all those other things, and you probably, yeah, I don't want to gross you out, okay? So I'll stop there. But there can just be a lot of struggles while living in the desert, and oftentimes my faith has mimicked living in the wilderness, dry and parched and rough. There's days I doubt my call. There's days I wonder, is this what I really should be doing? And then I'm reminded again as I go back and be curious about Jesus. Yeah. I would want to be in no other place than just telling people about Jesus because he has changed my life and I see the power of him changing other people's lives like Mubarak and that makes it worth it. But even if it, there was no Mubarak, the things that God is working on my life as I trust him and to provide and trust him to work, no matter how hard it is, that has been worth it. That my faith has grown so wonderfully as I've seen my God provide. Jesus goes on, or another disciple says to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus says to him, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. It might sound, what, like what Jesus says might sound kind of insensitive, like this guy's dad's about to die. and You're not going to be sensitive to let him go take care of his dad? Well, we don't know a lot of details about the story. But some follow Jesus until there's an excuse not to follow. For this in Jesus' day, the pink slip out of anything would be to take care of a family member that was dying. And it might seem like Jesus was being insensitive to him, but this man was giving an excuse and Jesus knew that this man would probably have another excuse and another excuse and another excuse. In the order order of priority, Jesus is first and everything else is always second. There's a cost to following Jesus. The cost may be a loss of comfort. The the cost might be an all-in commitment Jesus has his way of separating crowds. He has a way of separating us. from Those who are just curious to those who are really convinced that he is who he says he is and to those who are really committed, like are all in. Have you considered the cost of following Jesus? What nets do you need to drop? Are there some nets you're holding on to that you need to just let go of? and that is anything that you're holding on to that is preventing you from giving your life to Jesus. In Conclusion, followers make followers. How do you know what a real follower of Jesus looks like? They multiply themselves. They multiply Jesus in other people. Jesus' last words, Matthew records them for us, which is great. Last words are incredibly important. These are Jesus' last words to his followers. He says, Go, therefore, make followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you, even to the end of days. Between Matthew 4 and 28, what we just read, is Jesus has transformed these 12 men, 11 men, into a new kind of fishermen. In the book of Acts, we see that. We see that fleshed out, that these men, these Jesus followers, would go into all the world telling the world about Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was the answer to the world's problems. And Jesus and his followers would go out and turn that world upside down. Maybe God will never call you to be a pastor or a missionary. uh, Maybe he'll never tell you to go to the deserts of Chad or the jungles of Brazil you have your own jungle right here in Brentwood right there in Antioch and Stockton right here as a church as Kairos you're placed strategically in this dark and broken world that's hurting and your light can transform a life as you live for Jesus. I love what is said of Daniel in Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. It says, Men and women, you have lived wisely and well, will shine brilliantly like the cloud of star-strewn night skies, and those who put others on the path to life will glow like stars forever. See, as you live as a follower, and are known as a follower, and you make followers of Jesus Christ... You shine like the brightest stars. and You glow like the brightest sun. And that magnifies Jesus and makes him so famous. And we decrease and he increases. And Jesus is it. Following is it. Are you proud to be a follower? comfortable being a follower or are you just curious like I'm curious about this Jesus maybe you are convinced that Jesus is who he says he is but you've not maybe taken the next step of commitment to go all in say what Jesus does I will do what Jesus says I am I want to be where Jesus says, Go, I will go. Where Jesus says, Shine, I will shine. And I will do it unashamed. I will do it no matter the cost. I'll pay the price. I'll sacrifice it all so that Jesus is made great. Rejoin me. We pray for me that I would continue on that path myself. and Not give up. Let's pray. God, you have given it all. Thank you for Jesus. And we pray that we, uh, as he makes that invitation to follow, that we would take his invitation to heart and to hand. That we would take it and walk with him. That God, we would use our lives as a a mimicking example that the world would see that jesus is the son of god that we would know the joy that mubarak has that to know know the joy of being invited to follow the god of the universe and that god you would give us courage to shine brightly to glow like the brightest sun so that when others see us they see that we resemble our rabbi jesus So God, may we be strong and courageous, and may we love to follow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
2: All right, amen. Let's stand together for worship.